0: In this episode, we cover DevOps, Cloud Native, and mainframes. Here is a quick taste of the episode, and then let's get going.
1: You have to be a good listener, right? Just listen to people. An opinion is purely that. It doesn't mean you have to act on the opinion. But if someone comes to you with an idea, at least hear it out. It may be the best idea in the world.
0: This is Cloud Gossip, podcast demystifying the cloud and the people behind it. Hi, I'm Annie. I'm a cloud native technology marketing manager, and I've worked with tech companies ranging from startups to enterprises.
2: And hello, my name is Carl, and I'm a cloud security leader working in the Swiss financial sector.
0: You are listening to Cloud Gossip. In today's episode, we are going to talk about DevOps.
2: Martin is a DevOps ambassador and a Microsoft MVP. He's based in the UK and working as an expert technology consultant with Ensono in the US.
0: Welcome, Martin. Would you like to briefly introduce yourself, please?
1: Yeah,
2: sure. Thank you for
1: having me, guys, first of all. But yeah, you, you kind of <laughs> kind of said most of what there is to say that, to be honest. Yeah, I, I work for Insono. They are a managed service provider, um, actually in Europe and the US. Um, and even though I'm based in the UK, um, I actually work with US clients. So I do very odd hours <laughs> because of that as well. But it's, it's something you get used to, which is good. But yeah, I, I do a lot with Cloud Native as well. So primarily the, the work that I do is around... Really trying to make sure that that clients are looking at what else is possible with, with Azure. Obviously, the infrastructure services are great, but there's there's a lot to offer when it comes to cloud native, be that uh, containers or be that the the you know huge variety of serverless offerings that that Azure has as a platform, and, and that kind of ties in really nice actually with the DevOps side as. As well. So, as you said, I'm a, a DevOps ambassador with a DevOps Institute, and uh, they're, they're a great organization. If, if anyone doesn't know who they are, they do a lot of official uh, certifications around DevOps. So, be that for a minute, just an understanding of DevOps, so they, they also go into specific roles like site reliability engineering. And also, you can become a, a DevOps certified leader as well, uh, which is really good. And it looks at the non-technical aspects of of DevOps around culture, people, and process as well. So they're a great organization to be a part of, and and they do a lot of events aimed at skilling up uh, your knowledge, attendees' knowledge really on different aspects. Uh, In February, uh, they're talking about Cloud Native, and and there's a session I'm uh, presenting there as well, and and they're all available after the fact on various different methods of medium as well. So there's always something for everyone, so I'd encourage people to go check them out if they want to know more about DevOps and the relationships to some of the technologies that people talk about in DevOps as well.
2: And that's DevOps Institute, right? We'll, we'll add that to the show, right. no- show notes over there cool you you mentioned that uh, the company you are working for ensono that's uh, that's actually a managed service provider so but you're working as a consultant troll so does that mean that you are going for let's say those newest new customers that you might might maybe on board as your clients or or do you have like a specific set of customers that you you nurture and and evolve all the time how does how do your typical uh, set of engagements work
1: yeah, so, so it's actually a mix of, of what you said there. So whether it's new customers and onboarding of new customers into managed services, there's obviously internal processes that, that make that happen. So there's a few things in, involved in that, but uh, primarily it's it's taking across what solution architects come up with from a solution perspective and adding the detail and the color to that solution and, and how it exactly works. So it's, a, it's a little like the technical... Uh, the technical ability to be able to uh, implement the solution and, and ultimately give the client what it is that they're asking for. That That's new clients. It could be existing clients that are onboarding a new service as well. Uh, so Insono doesn't just do uh, public cloud. They also do mainframe. In fact, they, they originally are a mainframe company, uh, one of the biggest in, in the US. And um, They also do private cloud as well and, and also public cloud as well. So they, they sit across all three the major uh, technology stacks and uh, it's, it's quite a good story actually to be able to talk about the ability to move all the way from mainframe ultimately hopefully into public cloud if that's where the client wants to go so there's plenty plenty of scope to move around within there depending on what the client wants
2: that's 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 really amazing to to be able to talk to folks who who might maybe <laughs> maybe think of a, a computer a real computer is something that you walk into or has doors yeah. and all the way from <laughs> there to the cloud native and the latest and greatest stuff really really cool
1: yeah so it's, it's very interesting talking to people internally as well around I actually think that there's, there's when you look at what a mainframe actually is and what a mainframe actually does, and you think of serverless. That they're actually quite similar you know they they're designed to run very specific blocks of compute to do very specific things if we are talking about azure and the cloud that's that's pretty much an azure function um, you know it's obviously a lot more detailed on the mainframe side than, than that but fundamentally they, they do share a lot of similarities so i think it's interesting that we always talk about circles of of process or circles of evolution of technology in in IT as an industry. Uh, And and I kind of find that interesting in the uh, the relationship there, I guess, between mainframe and public cloud and some of the things that people thought were incredibly hard to do on mainframe even today. With three clicks of a button and deploy a bit of C sharp, I can put that into an Azure function and have it running in seconds. So it's quite interesting to see that circle coming back up at the top I think.
0: Really really cool stuff. So let's get to it then. What does devops mean to you? How do you define devops?
1: Yeah, so this this is this is a great question so I I I always ask people this on my podcast to be honest and I love asking this question because what, one of the reasons I do is because everyone has a different opinion of, of what DevOps is. One of the explanations I actually love a, a lot is, uh, is actually Donovan Browns, uh, who's uh, DevOps manager at Microsoft, and his, his definition of DevOps, I, I understand he took quite a few days to come up with his definition, and his definition is very, very clear and very, very simple and, and talks and says that DevOps is the union of people, process, and technology to deliver end value to end uh, to deliver value rather to end users. And I really like that because we don't talk about code, we don't talk about technology specifically. It talks about value. And when it comes to DevOps, for me, it's all about value. Uh, and when I'm talking to organizations, it's, it's always an interesting conversation because you you have to wear two hats. I think because one side of the conversation where you talk to technical people on the ground and they want to know about automation. They want to know more about how we can automate release and uh, builds of, of our code and automate the workflows around that. But then you cannot have those same conversations with a business because it, it doesn't really mean anything to them. You have to talk about how DevOps is going to help turn the needle or, or move the needle, if you like, in in business sense. How is what we're going to do support the business? And how is technology going to support the business's goals and KPIs? And that's really what you have to start driving across to business leaders as to why they should invest all of this money in DevOps and Agile working and, and all of the other things that come with it. Lots of people changes, potentially trading. Quite frankly, it can be a long process, uh, and with that comes a lot of time where there is no visible game. But if you execute right in DevOps, there is always visible game. You may just not see it at the top level until a little bit further down the line. But ultimately, that business value is really around in- increasing that time to market, making it faster. Because at the end of the day, especially... One thing I think the pandemic has highlighted is that when it comes to businesses and and teams that are high-functioning and using DevOps practices, they were able much quicker to be able to react to what happened on a global level and still carry on doing what they do in a great way to all of a sudden millions and millions more people. And of course, I think the thing that we can all relate to is conferencing technology where, you know, not just Microsoft with Teams, but also uh, Zoom as well and and plenty of others. All of a sudden overnight, they had hundreds or thousands of percent increase in their user base. And, you know, minus the odd little issue that that I can recall hearing about, there's certainly never been any major outages with any of these platforms. uh, And they've literally had to scale tremendously overnight a lot of that is obviously down to the technology and the platforms that they're using but but a huge part of that is down to how they work and that's where DevOps comes in so for me DevOps is exactly as Donovan said in in his um, explanation it's around making sure that you deliver value to your end users and that value is obviously different depending on your business and your product but you should always be looking to deliver value uh, and my argument to, to a lot of the customers that I work with is if you are creating releases and it's not easy to determine what the value is, then you probably shouldn't be releasing it in the first place.
0: Yeah, really cool. It's it's, it's an, really an investment that pays off in the end and, and, yeah. and works. So really good definition. So how do you think the definition has evolved over time?
1: So, so again, this is this is a really good question. And had you asked me the same question uh, a year ago, two years ago, I'd have probably said something different because one of the things that I really love about working in the DevOps space is that my understanding of, of what DevOps is and how it can help organizations and what is available to us as professionals to implement and, and improve the way organizations work just gets better all the time. Much like technology, uh, technology is getting better and better all of the time. There is more you can do than you could a year ago, or even six months ago. It's the same with implementing DevOps. The more people that try and implement DevOps, the more you get to learn from other people's mistakes. And that's not a, you know, that's not a, a negative comment towards the people that have tried and failed. In in fact, failure is kind of a a nasty word in in DevOps and Agile. There is no such thing as failure as far as we're concerned in a a DevOps practice. Every failure is just really an opportunity to learn and improve the next time. And that's really where it comes into. So, you know, how, how has my definition evolved over time? I think I make initially the classic mistake that people make in assuming that DevOps is all about technology. Technology is important, but for me, you have to invest in culture. Uh, and uh, again, an interesting way because people come back to you and say, well, what is culture? <laughs> what is DevOps culture? What does that mean? But for, for me, quite simply, it is the way that um, our teams can collaborate and communicate with each other and create in a safe space for that to happen, along with giving them the ability to innovate without fear of retribution, of of messing anything up or something not being quite right is that environment that makes everyone feel safe to be able to do those things without the fear of being rebuked by it by any of their team so you have to get that culture right first then you have to get the people and the skills in your organization right as well And, and sadly that sometimes does mean people moving on into other roles and bringing other people in and then you have to get your process right There is no point automating bad processes because all you end up doing is automating a poor process and end up with poor results faster than if you would do it manually. So you have to be really careful. So for me, it is around getting process people and, and culture right first and then adding technology on top to be able to improve in the investments that you've already made. And by that point, you have good, solid, lean processes that you can then make quicker rather than retrofitting all of that around technology first. So, yeah, my, my biggest mistake is really thinking that DevOps is about technology and trying to do it from a technology first perspective. What I've learned over the years is that you will get a lot more success if you actually do it the other way around. Uh, and that's that for me, that's where my understandings
0: evolved
2: yeah and just to be clear for for myself and for of our listeners uh, as well so when you're talking about culture it's 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 not you putting putting on kind of your anthropology hat or anything like that <laughs> it's really all about company culture and and bringing this uh, mentality to the workspace this mindset that uh, you can learn learn maybe n- maybe not necessarily fail fast depending on your industry and organization of course but having this mentality that's, as as you said Failure is an opportunity to gather data. What can we do better next time?
1: Exactly. And I think the, the last thing I
2: would probably say on that is in
1: DevOps, we always talk about continuous improvement and continuous feedback. It is those failures that let you go through those feedback loops and learn from what you have done and make it better the next time. Even if it is only minutely, incrementally better, it's still better than last time. So you've still made an improvement. You, you do get to the point where you're at such a high level of maturity that there is very little to change about how you do something. But as with anything, and especially in business, uh, as most people saw between January and March 2000, is things can change very, very quickly, and you need to be able to react to that. So again, I think that's more proof for, for me that... Businesses that do this well were able to see that change in business and trading environment and say, we need to change how we do things. And they were able to just pivot over to the direction they needed uh, and are still successful today because of those efforts that they've already made.
0: Yeah, for sure. It all comes back in the end. So... Mm-hmm. We think, and I think uh, most of our listeners probably, and you, you most likely as well, think that DevOps has had a huge impact on, on the world and society. And uh, we would like to ask you about a few things that uh, DevOps has impacted in general, three things to be precise. So we could start with, how has DevOps impacted industry as a whole?
1: So I, I, think, I think the difference is huge. Right, I think if we if we didn't have DevOps today, then organizations would look very, very different. And if you get a chance to have a look, there's a great video on um, YouTube by uh, Jessica Dean, who's a cloud advocate at Microsoft. Yeah, and her and the rest of the cloud advocates produce some amazing content. But there's one video in particular that, that Jessica's done around uh, developing with confidence. And for me, this explains in such a short period of time, the impact that DevOps can have on an organization. And let, let me try and summarize it uh, a, a bit more briefly. She talks about Microsoft in kind of the 2010 era, where their competitors were frankly doing better than they were. And, Every internal team was fighting against every other internal team, and they were. She brings up a graphic, and it's quite widely available on online of, about organization structures, and they're all siloed and they have guns pointing at each other because they see everything as a competition. And the key message behind it is: if it hurts, do it more often. And for Microsoft, that was deployment. So if you think back to. Those 2010 time scales used to get product updates every one, two years because they kept pushing those minute changes back, further back, further back until there was thousands of lines of code that changed and they would deploy them. And the reason they didn't deploy them is because they knew it would break stuff. So this all kind of pivots around when Satya Nadella came in, in a lot of ways. And she goes on to talk about some of the changes that Satya made about using common tooling, right? Microsoft uses Azure DevOps to build and release Azure DevOps, right? It's kind of an odd concept to get your head around that they use the same tool that they're building and releasing to build and release that tool. So it's kind of odd to, to think about it that way, but that common tooling and those common practices, uh, and they call it uh, one Microsoft, I think, or one engineering system and it's how all the internal teams work with each other how they all work together and what release cadence they use it's a really really great presentation i would i would encourage everyone to go out and and watch that if they if they can because it really tells a great story it's not actually the fundamental focus of uh what she's presenting but it's a it's a great five or ten minutes at the beginning of that presentation that talks about the struggles that Microsoft had and their realisation that they needed to change. Uh, and like she says, in business, everyone is now competitive. Everyone's a software company. And if you're not doing this, your competitors are already and they are out innovating you and that will ultimately put you out of business. It's a sad reality, but that is a reality in the matter. But I think you have to go, you know, how did we get to here, I think is another key thing. And... I don't know if you've heard of the Agile Manifesto, but the Agile Manifesto come in around February 2001. So there's a, there's a ski resort in Utah, uh, and 17 people met up at, at this retreat to find some common ground uh, along software development. And what came out of that is the Agile Manifesto. So there was representatives from uh, feature-driven development practices, adaptive software development, scrum, extreme programming, pragmatic programming, and, and many others who realized the need to change the industry. And what they come out with is, is is a number of things that went into building a manifesto. So they talk about individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, uh, customer collaboration over contracts negotiation, I think the last one is responding to change over following a plan. And, and they then go into defining 12 principles of Agile software that that start to build out some of this in more detail. And, and actually, when you think about where DevOps is now, it, it is primarily built on a lot of Agile ways of working. And actually the concept of bringing development and operations together isn't really anything new. It's molding it in a way that makes them successful. Before DevOps became, you know, a a real thing, I think it was back in 2008 that I um, I certainly can't go much further back than hearing the term DevOps used uh, by Patrick Bois at uh, an Agile conference. And Plenty of people have tried and failed before that, I think, so the concepts are not new, it's just the way that we enabled it is what now makes it successful. And like everything else, it is now hugely popular, and and that in turn has led to it being something much more widely adopted, different models being developed to help it work in different scenarios. So for me now, it's much more of a framework is DevOps rather than a set of things that you do. You, know, you, can't, you can't pick DevOps off a shelf and put it into your organization. Um, you will need to modify the best practice to fit within your organization rather than the other way around.
0: Yeah, makes total sense. So what has the impact of DevOps been truly to the daily work of developers?
1: <laughs> so I think with my operations hat on, I would say that developers are now much more acutely aware of the impact of poor documentation, poor code, uh, and poor instrumentation and what that can have on user experience and the day-to-day lives of everyone in operations. I I actually don't know any developers that want to go back to a pre-DevOps way of working, if they're working that way at the moment. They like the interaction of operations early in the process because at the end of the day, if you think what used to happen was You know, we'd say something got thrown over the fence uh, and a release got thrown over the fence. Operations knew nothing about it. Something went wrong during the middle of the night. The developers have gone home. It's operations that need to fix it. And, And they know nothing. They know nothing about what's new, what's changed, what is now no longer there. All of these things are completely alien to them. And what really, for me, really helps is that operations have lots of outstanding questions in that scenario but there was never the engagement with the developers there to be able to just say, what do you want to happen in this situation? What is it you need me to do? And I think that's really, really important because when it comes down to it, fundamentally, I think you need to, you need to have those people talking together to understand exactly what it means to be supporting a bad release or developing based off no requirements right? Everyone's working blind. So when I think about daily work of developers, obviously operations are root part of this as well, but developers now have much more clarity, I think, around what is acceptable, what, what level of instrumentation is needed to find out what is making this application go wrong, you know, how has it got to where we have now without looking at log files or system errors that say unknown error you know that's no longer acceptable for that to happen so i think i think developers are generally i would say a lot happier working in devops teams and devops ways of working because they have a lot more clarity in what it is that they need to do and how they
2: need to do it so does that mean that developers are more of a generalist than they were before is that part of the the happiness effect
1: um maybe maybe not generalist but that you know the good developers especially are obviously really really good at, at writing software and writing software let's not forget i i personally think is an art form right it's not just about writing code but it's about writing code that is logical and makes sense logically and for some programming languages that even Is down to the way the code is written will affect um, how efficiently that code will run. So, that that is a real art form being able to do that well. But I think with that, then rounded knowledge that they can apply of being able to say, oh, but if I want operations to find out more information, I can put it in, I can put telemetry into app performance monitoring, or I can write out a log file or I can write out a log file with this information in instead of saying, catch all exceptions, write to the log file, unknown error, and we'll deal with it later. You know, we we, we all kind of know that situation. Whereas instead... <laughs> I, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've all done that, right? We've all done that. If someone says they're not doing it, then, you know, they're telling, they're telling fibs as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, it's a much better working environment and... It creates levels of trust that I don't think organizations have seen before. Being able, to, being able to have those working relationships really strong, I think, creates a great bond and creates a great team within an organization. And when a team is happy, uh, when a team is performing well, when a team is under less stress, they produce better quality. Uh, and that's the underlying thing for, for me as to why this really works for organizations.
0: Yes, for sure. Okay, and then to the last one out of the three that I mentioned before on the impact of DevOps, and this time on what has been the impact of DevOps on technologies.
1: So, so I think know, yeah, I think this one's quite easy in a lot of ways. You, you only have to Google DevOps tooling, um, and you know how many pages come up. I'm sure you've both seen graphics of the and, and info posters on um, the DevOps tool chain, right? There, there's hundreds of tools. And sometimes there's hundreds of tools for the same thing. But one of the things that I think I, I would I would argue, I, I see where people come in from. from. You, you don't want lots of different tools within your organization. But some of those tools do very specific things for very specific platforms. So if there's a use case for that tool, then don't shy away from using that tool just because it's another tool in your environment. But on the flip side of that, let's always think about the 80-20 rule, right? If, if you can put a tool in that does 80% of the job and that 80% will suffice for at least 80% of the time, then question whether you need that other 20%. If you do, it's like it's like that. It's like buying commercial off the shelf versus write your own software. Again, it's the same. If that commercial off the shelf software does eighty percent of what you need it to, do you actually need that other twenty percent? Can you live without it? Uh, if you can, then obviously it's much better to buy commercial off the shelf because you don't need to hire a team of developers. But if that twenty percent is what makes fifty percent of your revenue then obviously it is very important to invest in that 20% and add those things onto your product. So, you know, always think about it from that perspective, but don't, don't be put off by a tool because you may be using the exact use case for that specific tool that makes your life a lot, lot easier. So its impact on technology is, is huge. Um, and obviously, it keeps a lot of people employed uh, because of the number of tools that are out there today. So, yeah, the, the impact on technology from DevOps is huge.
2: A lot of DevOps consultants bring home the bacon <laughs> just, just <laughs> by right. updating those infographs, indeed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> cool, cool. That actually ties quite nicely to the next topic that I I, I would like to ask you. And let me uh, kind of uh, re reiterate or kind of... Uh, yeah, introduce uh, to our listeners as well. So you you have this um, this uh, blog post or or this mantra or or a rant about but uh, what, what really is cloud native philosophy, uh, and and uh, how how not everything which has the prefix cloud native is just uh, built uh, to work with Kubernetes or does it always have to be with uh, something to do with containers etc. And before I kind of let you lose and try to ex- uh, let you explain what's the uh, difference between this uh, cloud native and, uh, and how, how is it related to the DevOps altogether. I, I want to kind of emphasize from, from what you said earlier about the possibility nowadays with software as a service, uh, pretty much any organization can just buy pretty much the same level of not just the software, but also the operations part of the commercial of the self software. So whereas before they're, you know, running an email server used to be an actual job and it has some uh, you know job security and all of that. And, and it still is for, for a number of environments, of course. But for a lot of use cases right now, I could just go ahead and as a new organization, new competitor, I could just come in. You know, swipe my credit card or whatever, get the same kind of latest version of the, of the same tools that a large enterprise will just need to actually host and run and build a lot of uh, infrastructure all around on, on top of that. And, you know, putting that kind of as a side, uh, I'd like you, you to tell us uh, about this uh, cloud native philosophy and how is it related to the DevOps and how is it not always only related to containers?
1: Yeah, so so let's do the second bit first because I think that's, that's that's one of the most contentious things that I I think is out there in, and, and actually a lot of customers that I speak to, if if we start talking about cloud native, the only thing they will talk about is containers. But but actually, you know what what is cloud native? Right, cloud native is fundamentally it is technology that supports microservices and microservice based architecture. So. You know, what what is microservice-based architecture? It's the ability to move to a more modular approach to how you write code. So a great example might be an e-commerce platform. Okay, so on your e-commerce platform, you uh, want people to pay, obviously. So you have a payment gateway, but you also have physical stores that use a point of sale system. Um, And if someone pays with a card, you may well have different software that does the same payment processing. So in a microservice world, we would create a payment processor that worked both on your e-commerce website and in your store so that you could use the same piece of code in in multiple locations and have multiple endpoints. If you like calling uh, that piece of code, this is generally how APIs come about and what APIs are. So, you know, if I think to if I think back to some of the work that that I was doing um, a couple of years ago, when I when I or nearly a couple of years ago, uh, when I went to Virgin Atlantic, um, we we were very API driven with a lot of the things that I was working on. How were those APIs stored? They were in Azure Functions, and they were called via webhooks that sat behind an API management gateway, so it could control access and authorization. Where the app services that exposed APIs, no, there were actually serverless apps that did very, very specific things. So it meant that updating those APIs was now very, very straightforward, because we could use things like deployment slots, which meant that we could do canary-based deployments, which meant that we could move a set proportion of traffic onto uh, our new feature and test it and get live telemetry about how it was working. So there's a huge number of benefits like that. Of course, you can do that on containers. But I think I think containers was the first real huge foray into this landscape that it's become the de facto technology. Uh, and I've actually spoken to a number of customers recently, uh, well, three customers recently, actually, in the past month, since coming back from you know, the Christmas break and such where, They've talked about their desire to use containers because they're writing their own software. But actually, when you dig into the requirements, they don't actually need containers at all. They are writing APIs. That is what they're doing. So is containers always the best place to put it? Absolutely not. You need to think about how you're going to support that technology in the future. How long is it going to be there? How do you want that environment to scale? Where do you want it to be available? Do you want it to be a global service? Do you want it to be local in a certain region? There's lots of different factors involved. So that's the biggest thing for me. It's a de facto technology for cloud native, but actually there are so many more different things involved. One of the things that actually happens when you start to look at cloud native technology, so... Uh, let, let's take Azure Functions as an example. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Visual Studio Code um, at all. It's, a, it's Microsoft's great tool for doing you know, really great, lightweight development and integrating lots of community and vendor-driven plugins in, in a marketplace. It's free, it's cross-platform. I use it actually more than Visual Studio if I'm writing any code now. I've, I've kind of moved away a little bit from Visual Studio, except for very specific use cases. And one of the things you can do in Visual Studio Code is you can install the Azure Functions add-in and in there you can go to the command palette. you can click a new function, you give it a name, your language and um, your trigger and um, you start coding it and then you can deploy it all from the same interface. So that's great, right? It's really great. But what does that do? That means that we can deploy directly to Azure without operations knowing about what we've done. So cloud native in a lot of ways actually cuts developers out of the picture. What can solve that problem and bring developers and operations closer together and back It's DevOps. And so whenever I'm talking to clients and customers that I speak to around Uh, cloud native i will always say just as a a throwaway comment in the conversation what are you doing around devops Uh, and it's quite it's quite interesting how many times they come back and the answer is all technology driven it's like okay that's great but how are you going to solve the problem of working together right a tool doesn't make people work together better or more efficiently Yes, you can have collaboration tools like teams or whatever and slack and etc so you can chat to each other but that that in itself doesn't bring teams closer together so for for me devops and cloud native go hand in hand Uh, and the main reason for that like i was just saying is that actually the technology that you can run your services on your applications on is now closer to the developer and they, they actually don't need operations to run a lot of this stuff because it's platform as a service. There is less that can go wrong with it. Nine times out of ten, especially in Azure or AWS, you can go to the portal and restart it, and that will probably fix the problem that you've been having because it will just redeploy it somewhere else. That, that's really big in terms of how organizations work and where they go because all of a sudden, you could end up with a business-critical service running in a function, an Azure function, that operations know nothing about. Uh, and businesses will, will not and do not want to be in that situation. So that's where DevOps and, and culture, people, process, and then technology can help make developers realize that, hey, if you want to do this, that is fine, but these are the operational concerns, and these are the things that you need to address from an operational perspective, backup, DR, high availability all of these kind of things interaction with other workloads security you know all all of these things monitoring they're almost dirty words to developers of, of years gone past but they're now very important and devops helps address those concerns so that's why i always put devops and cloud native together in one bucket because for me you cannot do uh, you can do cloud native well, but you cannot be excellent at cloud native without DevOps.
2: Exactly. I I really like to to point out in in this context that yes, you can do a lot of things on your own, but again, just like with uh, with any other tool, with great power, again comes <laughs> great responsibility Definitely. as well.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And and again, right? Just like uh, just like we were talking about poor error messages earlier on. You know, every, everyone's everyone's written something and put it straight into production. I, I, again, it's one of those things that people just do. Um, but hopefully this makes those scenarios better is, is where we're trying to go with it, really. So it is important to capture those things and make sure that you understand what impact it's going to have to your business. And, and DevOps will help you address and highlight some of those problems. It will help you fix them but it will help you highlight them so they can be fixed.
0: So moving on to our recurring segments for now. So then we will kick it off with Future of Tech. So what are the three things in tech that make you the most excited at this moment?
1: I think, I think number one has to be IoT, Internet of Things. Right? I, I've i been looking more and more at IoT recently. Yeah, quite honestly, with a software engineering background and just a, a general interest in, in what hardware can do when it has software on, on top of it, is, is an exciting prospect. and. I, I think I spent half an hour trying to look for that one thing that no one had come up with yet, which uh, I, I sadly had not figured out yet <laughs> um, because most things have already been done. but th- there are so many things that people have come up with that solve everyday problems, which I think even even five years ago we'd have had this conversation and someone had said, you know did you know that you could put a GPS? collar around your dog and set up geo alerts to know when it goes out of a certain area. And five years ago, he'd be like, oh, don't talk crazy. That's ridiculous. Whereas now, I, I found at least five apps that do that. <laughs> and and of course, they cost money. They're not free because you need a piece of hardware. But the one-off cost for the hardware is not exactly expensive. And, and the battery life on some of these things, that they, they come with batteries, some of them. They last 10 years. They send a GPS location every 15 minutes for 10 years. And they're obviously nice and waterproof. They fit nicely around the collar so it doesn't irritate the animal. And, you know, that, that kind of stuff is is great. It is really, really good. So that, that for me, is number one. Number two, um, I would say blockchain is an also another interesting area. Um, but not for cryptocurrency, like most people seem to want to talk about. I actually think as, as a ledger technology, it, it has a lot of applications in a lot of areas. Right? Let's Cryptocurrency is great because it obviously enables a number of different scenarios uh, to be able to uh, account for what has been spent where and redeemed where. But of that from an invoicing perspective and ordering of work and um, supply chain management in general, it has a lot of applications there and can solve some real problems world issues as, as well uh, and i think the third one is it's kind of boring i think in a lot of ways but data uh, data i think is is becoming the most important tool in a business's armory to be able to develop new services to be able to improve customer service increase their revenue all sorts of things and um, so, so data, along with lots of tools, obviously, is is really the key to a lot of businesses' success. And, and it will continue to be data. If you think of just about the pandemic uh, at the minute, right, if you think about all of these locations, like there's John, uh, John um, Hopkins University, that he's tracking case numbers, sometimes on a daily basis in a number of countries, Uh, The UK government have a great dashboard, which I think is built on Azure, actually, um, from some of the bits I've seen and some of the tinkering around with uh, DNS lookups and stuff (laughs) just to see what it's built on. And some of the messages I've seen come through sporadically if there's been an error. I think that is actually built on Azure Functions and a number of different Azure technology. But they track to a very detailed level locally how many infections there are, how many people have been admitted to hospital, how many people have you know, sadly died, the trend of that data, how many people have vaccinated, how many people have received a second dose of their vaccine, what is the case rate per hundred thousand in different age categories and groups. So they're looking at demographic information as well. You know, this is this is data that some organizations would have killed for a couple of years ago. And now all of this information has been made public uh, and it's all data. So yeah, I, th- I think data is one of the things that will drive a lot of businesses forward as well. And, and it also ties into the thought that everyone is now a software business. Right? To be able to interpret the data, you, you need software. And to be able to do that in a custom way, you'll probably need to write something yourself, be that um, be that. A report, or be that a piece of software to interpret and analyze that data. You you'll need something. You you will unlikely find something out of the box that works directly for your organization.
2: Excellent. That's a, that's it. Very good list indeed. Moving maybe a little bit, let's say, more wishful thinking, more more to more towards the towards the future. If you could wish any one technology through, you know. From science fiction to, you know, fission reactors to proper quantum computing, any sort of technology, no no limitations on budget or kind of sense of reality. What will that one technology be?
1: That's a good question. Um, So I'm actually not a huge sci-fi fan, but I would have to say teleportation has to be up there. I I travel a lot for work, or at least did before the pandemic. So it's kind of coming up to a year since I've been anywhere. But you know, going going on a business trip, especially out to the states, was always good fun. Coming home, not so great, (laughs) Um, because you you know you've got to get to the airport, you've got to fly all the way back, and then drive back from the airport. Um, I I don't live anywhere near an international airport, so it, it was always a couple of hours to get back from landing. So. It, it just feels like wasted time, <laughs> if I'm honest. You know, I love travel, but if I could literally think of where to go and um, press a button, um, put it in and be there, that would be awesome. Uh,
2: I it, It's very hard hard for me. I will still need to have, uh, wish that there will be some sort of industry about teleportation lounges where you go ahead and wait <laughs> and sip that champagne and then you press that button. <laughs> It's an experience.
1: It may be the airport lounge of the future, who knows?
0: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I wouldn't mind teleportation at all. It would be really convenient. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But then moving on to the second uh, recurring segment, diversity and inclusion. encountered any really good projects or initiatives in diversity or inclusion space recently?
1: So I think uh, there's so many out there at the minute, I think. And I think one of the things to remember first and foremost is uh, as, as an industry, we've obviously come quite a long way in technology, but we, we've got a lot further to go. A lot, lot further to go. I, I don't subscribe to the discussions i've seen online where technology is a leader in diversity and inclusion and doesn't really need to do all else and it's already done a lot and you know what we have done a lot but there is so much more to to go i actually think from a project perspective there's there's so many that i that i like and so many that i i support in terms of what they're trying to do But again, I think we're in the perfect industry to apply technology to to make this very easy for people. You think one of the biggest areas that you get a a level of criticism and a level of uh, sexist or racist behavior is is probably in, in, in the hiring and recruitment process. So having even just Having software that has the ability to rank and show candidates based on pure ability and pure skill set without showing the recruiter their name, their age, where they're from. Because obviously those, those three pieces of information give you a lot of detail about their ethnicity, what their religious beliefs uh, may well be. People will start making assumptions, and it's those assumptions that are dangerous, so anything that can take away that for me, from, from a, a, a software perspective, is is a really good thing. But I think for the the one project that I actually do quite like is is in some themselves actually do a a, a bit uh, internally in in this space as well. So there's there's some there's some things that we do. Around surveys, trying to make sure that we get feedback as to how the company is performing, and they will act on that feedback. You know, it's scheduling up certain events and opportunities for people to engage with each other on passionate projects that they share. We have a weekly e-talk slot, which is a half hour for someone in the business to talk to anyone who can attend. It's open to all associates. Um, you can go on and you can talk about something that you're passionate uh, about. And it's giving people that stage to be able to talk about it in, in a confident manner. And there's been some diversity and inclusion topics on, on there as well, which would be really good to hear people talk about them. But yeah, I think I think fundamentally you know, as as a as a world and sort a of human race, we we have a lot further to go. Uh, we are we are heading in the right direction you could argue we've gone a step back or so in the last couple of years in some areas most definitely through one thing or another but you know i think generally we're trending upwards but there's a there's a lot lot further to go on and hopefully through you know advocates like ourselves and when it comes to microsoft over mvps i i know like we have a diversity and inclusion code of conduct right as an mvp that we we talk about and we follow it's important that everyone's voice is heard equally uh, and i certainly think that the program does a good job of of doing that for my interactions and experiences so far so yeah it's it's really important but we do have a lot lot further to go
2: exactly it's 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 good to be hopeful uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. on, on on these topics I seem to recall uh, a certain bookstore that that also dabbles with the public cloud trying out this uh, <laughs> recruitment algorithm approach but uh, sadly because they used real training data uh, which is already very biased yeah. uh, So so they used the data uh, about they used the same training data uh, that they had for uh, their existing hires. So the end result was even more biased than before. So they needed to uh, pull the plug on that one. But but hopefully we 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 will get to tackle that uh, in in some someday in the future as as well. Um, But maybe taking it a little bit more realistic. uh, Would would you have any specific tips for? For us or or our listeners to to what can we do in our daily lives to to be more inclusive? So I think
1: you have to you have to be a good listener, right? Just listen to people. Right? A, a, an opinion is is purely that. It doesn't mean you have to act on the opinion. Um, but if someone comes to you with an idea, at least at least hear it out. Right? It may be the best idea in the world. What would have happened if? you know someone someone turned around and told um, I don't know the the best product in the world that it is you know you're not going to do it just because it come from a, a, a minority member of society. you know that's is a bad place to be in. So in terms of personal tips, right? I think diversity and inclusion for me also includes, you know, pe- people who potentially are not that confident have trouble speaking up. You know, it's not it's not just the obvious; it's those kind of things as well. Neurodiversity. Yeah, exactly. You know, be just be yourself. At the end of the day, right? No, no one, no one wants you or expects you to be someone you're not. And you will build a career, whatever you do, whoever you are, whatever your background is, uh, whether you're male, female whatever your religion is it doesn't matter whatever whatever you identify yourself as you will build yourself a a successful and strong career by being yourself because being yourself is what makes you you at the end of the day
0: for sure i think that's a really really good thing to always remember so good good advice there so then do the last um, recurring segment and do the last question to, the, to our guest of today. So the community corner segment. Mm-hmm. Would you like to give a shout out to communities close to your heart?
1: Um, yeah, definitely. So I, I think, you know, as we've as we've all spent more time inside in the past 12 months or so, and we've all spent more time virtually, I think a lot of us are into virtual communities. Uh, and one of the things that I'm really proud of is that the, the Microsoft community has a lot of stuff going on, whether it is supporting females in STEM whether it's introducing children to code projects uh, uh, whether it's other people in the community doing podcasts or videos, anything like that you, you know I, I could go on I could go on and list lots and lots of, of people that do amazing things. I don't want to do anyone a, a disservice by missing missing out what they're doing. but if, if you are on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook, you, you should check out the hashtags cloud family and Azure family, right? All of us that do community content post stuff under those tags. So you will find a whole host of absolutely incredible content from incredible people and I, I, I think I speak for everyone that is involved in creating that content when I say it is the interaction we have with people that look at our content and uh, feedback on our content and ask us to write specific pieces of content that makes, makes us do that and makes us want to be MVPs or AWS heroes or, or whatever, or Docker heroes, whatever it might be. We, we, we all have a passion for sharing what we know and what we love. And everyone is super friendly. So never be afraid to reach out to anyone. It is a great community to be a part of. I I, I love being able to just look at that uh, hashtag on Twitter, um, Azure family or cloud family, uh, and just look at some of the questions. People just ask questions and there's all kinds of people replying back. I've seen people in the Microsoft product groups for various different products replying back to people on there, reaching out to them via direct message to get more feedback and you know, this is this is how technology should be. We we are using technology to make technology better and more accessible, and and the people that make these things more accessible. So that for me is is certainly from a community perspective. I, I guess our own community and the amazing people that are in it are certainly what I would like to highlight.
2: Excellent. We'll be sure to add the cloud family hashtags and and. Uh, Pages to our show notes as well. Good. So it's time to wrap thing, things up then. Today we talked with Martin and we learned all about the DevOps trust and tools. We discussed the cloud native mindset and how cloud native doesn't always have to mean containers. And we even talked about how we as a tech industry have evolved or rather have not maybe evolved since the mainframe era. Pleasure to talk with you, Martin.
0: Yes, truly. It's a, it has been a pleasure, Martin. Thank you for being here.
2: Yeah, thank you both as well. Hey, thanks for listening to Cloud Gossip. You can find us from our website, cloudgossip.net. Please leave us a review and subscribe to us at iTunes, Google, or Spotify.